Welcome to your most visionary life. On this weekly podcast, I chat with visionary humans and I'm asking them the one question that you probably want to know the answer to. How did they create, launch, and build the business of their dreams? My name is Kelsey Rydell and I am the founder of Visionary Life and the Visionary Method 90-Day Business Coaching Program for aspiring and startup entrepreneurs. The intention behind all of our visionary content is simple, and that is to plug you into the people, inspiration, and information that will help you to live and to lead your own most visionary life. As you begin to listen to the episodes, you'll discover one obvious and common thread, and that's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us, but perhaps somewhere along the line, someone told you to play small, to play safe, and that led you to live an ordinary life. This show will help you break down the intimidation behind launching a business, and it will shine a spotlight on people just like you with similar life experience who are creating the business and life of their dreams using the time-honored principles of consistent daily action. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. This week, I'm chatting with Max Reve, one of the co-founders of a company called Wise Monkey. I'm wondering if many of you have heard of Wise Monkey before, or maybe this will be the first introduction you have to them. Wise Monkey is a Vancouver company that makes coffee leaf tea. What started as a thesis project in 2013 has become an award-winning social venture and disruptor in the beverage industry. Wise Monkey takes unused coffee leaves during the nine months long off season, trains farmers to ferment and craft them into premium teas, and sells them nationally in North America and across the globe via online. Not only have their products taken home Best New Product at the World Tea Expo, but they've also won prestigious awards like the Nexty Award for Best Mission Driven Natural Product and Small Business BC Best International Trade Award. You can find Wise Monkey at Wise Monkey on Instagram. It's W I Z E Monkey. But first, before I share a little bit more about our interview, I want to give you some updates. The Visionary Retreat is a one day event happening here in Toronto. And this is absolutely something that has been brewing in my mind for so long. I have hosted many workshops, I've been part of many different seminars and retreats that other people have put together, but I thought, why am I not doing a Visionary Life Retreat? This is something that I love creating for you. I love being in the event space and putting together gatherings that bring visionaries together and that talk about health and inspired living and entrepreneurship. And that's exactly what we're going to do. So this is happening again in Toronto on April 14th. It's a Sunday. It'll be happening in the morning. And it is equal parts health and personal growth and business and branding training. So for about four and a half hours as a collective of visionaries in a stunning loft space, we're going to focus on learning the tools necessary to live and lead our most visionary lives and really uncover how we can take more action, achieve our biggest goals, and propel our growth. So whether you want to feel more inspired, connect with new humans, spend the day propelling your business growth, just want to take an escape from life, I know that this visionary retreat will be for you. So I know 
that it's vital to get yourself to these types of events because that's where the progress happens. And I've spent tens of thousands of dollars on these types of conferences and it has truly changed my life. So if this is something you're interested in, I would highly recommend going to kelseyridle.com slash retreat and you can learn all about what's going on here. Finally, just a couple housekeeping notes. As always, thank you for tuning into the podcast. When you let me know you listen, when you share the episodes, when you screenshot them, I'm so grateful. Visionary Life and the Visionary Method are a labor of love for me, and so it's really cool when I see you all uh, taking advantage of the content. If you've been thinking about working together, I want you to make sure you go to kelseyridle.com at some point today and check out the different offerings. I have clients all across North America and I run you through my signature business coaching program called The Visionary Method to help you start up or scale up your business. And if you've been thinking about working together, you can book a free call with me through my website. So if you just, again, go to kelseyridle.com and hover over connect, you'll find a way to book a call. So I know business coaching seems maybe like a new phenomenon, but really it's not. All great things are achieved when you work with someone else, with a mentor, with a coach, and I would love to be that person for you. Wise Monkey makes this incredible product called Coffee Leaf Tea. And I'm assuming most of you have never heard of coffee leaf tea before, but it is made from the leaves of the coffee plant. Uh, something that is not super common because most people go straight to the bean, right? And I myself, if you know me, you know I am a coffee fan. And have been always looking for ways to wean off coffee and at least reduce my consumption. And Max and the Wise Monkey philosophy have really gotten my wheels turning of how I can reduce my caffeine intake. And the story behind the brand really stemmed from when Max was living in France and he was working for a company in Vancouver and he was basically staying up through the night uh, because with the time shift, he had these deadlines from his Vancouver contract, but then he was in school in France doing his master's and he was pounding back so much coffee, espressos, adding shots to espresso shots to his caffeine drinks. And he actually OD'd, basically overdosed on the thing. And this really started to get the wheels turning behind some natural alternatives to coffee. So anyways, Max is here for the weekend with his co-founder Arnaud and they're doing the Toronto Tea Festival. And I was introduced to Wise Monkey from previous podcast guests, Ash, Ashley and Phil uh, from Based Body Care. You'll remember they were in, I think, one of the first 20 episodes of the Visionary Life podcast. And they make these incredible plant-based skincare products with just the most decadent scents ever. I'm obsessed. But um, I believe they had tagged Max or Wise Monkey in one of his posts, or they tagged me because Max was looking to connect with podcasters. And go figure, he's actually thinking of starting uh, a Wise Monkey podcast, and we chatted a ton about that off of the recording, but I cannot wait to hear more from him. He's a wealth of knowledge. He's got great stories. He spent a lot of time in Nicaragua, Nicaragua 
working with their growing partners and establishing relationships and bringing a product to market that did not exist, okay? When he brought this to uh, North America, I think it was about five years ago, you'll have to listen to the episode, coffee leaf tea was not a thing. So they went through the trenches to get this product here, to source it. Their first sample came from the Philippines. They said they had to dig through pages and pages of Google to even find someone who was doing this. And it truly was a visionary pursuit. So I am really excited. I actually haven't tried Wise Monkey yet. I should have done it before the podcast, but just with timing, um, I didn't have a chance to try it. So you can bet that I'm using their store locator as soon as I finish this intro. And I'm going to go see which store in my area of Toronto sells Wise Monkey. But you can also buy it online. So I'll probably end up getting some of their Wise threads. <laughs> they make a clothing and apparel line now as a spinoff, which is super sweet. I just had a chance to check it all out. Um, And more than anything, I just want to highlight that this episode is extremely inspiring. Whether you are looking to create some sort of product and sell it into retail, Max has so much insight onto, you know, whether retail is the right model. Um, We talk about using your past experience to really bring it into your entrepreneurial ventures. Um, And potentially, if you're thinking about going into a partnership, We talk about what types of skills each partner should have to complement one another. I could have talked to Max for days and days and days, and we actually did talk for about two hours, but I only recorded one hour of it, the more formal interview, Uh, and I just really appreciate him taking the time to come down here to meet me downtown to record this. He flew in late last night from Vancouver. They've got a tea festival all weekend, so I know that um, their time is super valuable, and I hope you love the episode. I really enjoyed this conversation. And if you have any feedback, please let me know. I know you just got off a flight last night, so you're probably just getting into Toronto and you came really in the coldest week. So (laughs) I don't even know if you had warm enough clothes coming from the West Coast. (laughs) I'm prepared. You're prepared. prepared. Okay, so you checked the weather before you came, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so a little minus 30. We'll just wake you right up this morning. So let's dive in with a few rapid fire questions so that all the listeners can get to know you. Uh, Where did you grow up? Uh, North Vancouver. Okay, and you're living there now as well? I'm living in downtown Vancouver now. Awesome. Is there a person, a podcast, or a book that's impacted your life? Um, I'd say generally speaking, probably Seth Godin, Mm. just because... He's got a lot of like creative energy and does force you to kind of think differently. I would say that a lot of his books get a little bit repetitive and he also like he has his brand that he sells and every book is kind of the same at this point, but it doesn't it doesn't hurt to read a couple of them because it really starts to kind of force you to think about things and how you'd execute it versus just always dreaming about it. Did you read his new book, This Is Marketing? No, I haven't yet. I keep hearing that one advertised. I haven't read it yet, but... I like I flipped through it at like an airport bookstore, and okay. I was like, yeah, this looks like a, basically his blog just rehashed. Mm-hmm. And, I, and a lot of his books are like that, I mean, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, and there's great content for sure. But I don't know if I need to read it again or yeah. read the same content again. And I like to get specific. Do you subscribe to his newsletter? Because I know he sends out a daily one that I was on for a while, and I got overwhelmed. 
Do you? I don't. I actually no. don't have okay. many daily newsletters because I already get way too many emails and I spend yes. half my day unsubscribing from people spamming me. So yeah. Agreed. Good tip. I know it's just, it's almost overwhelming. Weekly I can deal with, but the daily I was like, I don't know. Like yeah. his content's great, but I had to pull back. Um, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, <laughs> or such a good question. Ideally versus uh, reality. Let's say ideally I'd sleep from like, you know, 11 to 6 a.m. But realistically it's more like 11 to, or midnight to I don't know, five thirty or something. It really depends. I don't. I'm not a steady sleeper. I like wake up mm-hmm. so many times during the night, but uh, I'm I'm making efforts to improve on that aspect. It does help a lot when I actually get like a solid sleep for a week. Of course, yeah. I think as business owners, it's easy to let sleep fall to the wayside, but in order to function at our highest capacity, we kind of need it. So yeah. it's tough. Um, and what's one thing you do every single day that's non-negotiable? non-negotiable like you have to do it it could be something so simple like brushing your teeth or could be like your morning coffee tea um oh man that's tough because my daily schedule changes so much Mm -hmm. like i I have a routine like monday to friday when i'm at work for sure or if, if i'm at home in vancouver but then everything switches when i'm traveling definitely um i would say you know in a in an ideal scenario non-negotiable would be like at least like a 15 minute stretch session Mm. stretching is like huge just because i i you know i I used to play like pretty elite hockey and and now like all the injuries are catching up to me i've broken like over 12 bones in my body and surgery and everything so it's catching up a lot and so stretching Mm -hmm. and like just like basic physio stuff is definitely something I, I want to do or I, I try to do every single day but I don't usually I don't always fit it in if, yeah. I, do, if I do it's in the morning or for before before bed or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah usually some stretching just because like the body just shrivels up if you don't you know completely <laughs> yeah we're not as young as we used to be you know? <laughs> cool so uh, let's get into what you are up to in the years leading up to launching Wise Monkey so maybe tell us a bit about uh, were you working in a different industry? What career path were you on? Um, and yeah, maybe those three or four years before the business. Sure. So um, I would, I guess that's basically 2010. I graduated university. Um, I went to Thompson Rivers University in Kamloops, and I had a, a bachelor of tourism management. And it sounds like kind of a funny degree, but it's really half of it was international business. And then the other half was really focused on entrepreneurship, uh, cultural sensitivity, sustainable development, and, uh, and risk management. Um, and so that kind of put me in this direction of like almost like marketing service-based business degree. Mm-hmm. And when I finished school, I took a, like a tourism job at this company. I was going to try to like revamp and they had terrible marketing but had unbelievable service. And that just, you know, too many broken promises for me to stick around. And after three months, I was like, you know what, I, I just, I, I can't do this anymore. I was driving a bus and, and being a tour guide for like 22 people at the same time as driving. And it was like 500 kilometers a day, 12 stops a day. It was amazing. And Sounds it was, like fun. <laughs> it, it actually taught me a lot about patience, <laughs> um, about, about keeping face with, with like, clients and customers when you're just absolutely exhausted and you just couldn't care less about what their particular problem is in that moment but you just have to help and keep a smile on your face so that really was like an eye-opener 
Um, after that, I, I eventually took a job at a finance company in North Vancouver, and it was like it was like lending for entrepreneurs and business owners that have like previously gone bankrupt. And this is during the financial crisis or right after it. So it it was a weird, really weird business to be in because it was like really sharky. Um, and my job as a marketer, as a designer was to, re- and like the only, like the first marketer that they ever had, it was like 35 financial salespeople and like some admin staff. And so everyone's just like really money driven. They want ROI mm-hmm. tomorrow, et cetera. And I was there trying to build like a brand and like something with loyalty and value <laughs> long term and uh, it was just a really weird industry I knew I knew it wasn't a fit within like two weeks I was already looking for another job and um, and I couldn't find anything I really loved in Vancouver and over that that two years I decided you know <clears throat> screw this I need I need higher education if I'm gonna get a real job Vancouver's salaries literally that was 2010 Vancouver salaries haven't changed Wow. They haven't changed at all. And real estate's gone like double. Mm-hmm. Uh, renting is double. And so at that point, I was like, well, I got to get <coughs> out of here. And um, <clears throat> my mom is French from France. I, I speak French. I was losing my French being in a, in a you know Anglophone city and not speaking it on a daily basis. So I told myself I might as well use my passport and actually go to France on my own accord versus just going on like family trips every few years or whatever. Um, so I looked up a school that had a good business program, and it was in Bordeaux, uh, called Kedge. And um, I also played a bit of pro hockey when I was there too. I, I figured I might as well bring my gear, and I, I found a team, did training camp and everything, and met like you know forty new people immediately in the city that had been there for you know their whole lives, and that was a really good experience. And throughout the school year, basically <clears throat> starting in uh, end of September, leading up to Christmas, I was doing design work at, on contract for a, an agency in Vancouver, and they handed me like all this deadline stuff that was that was like so last minute. And um, being on a nine-hour time difference and <laughs> working for a West Coast mm-hmm. agency was ridiculous because I'd be up till like four a.m. to try to get things done while they're working and like on that schedule on deadline, and then I'd go to bed, wake up at 7 a.m. and go to school, and, and like that week happened to be finals at the same time. Mm-hmm. So I was basically drinking like five cups of coffee a day and like adding espressos to my coffees. <laughs> Quadruple shots. Yeah, like seriously. <clears throat> it, was, it was the most aggressive caffeine consumption I've ever experienced. And, and obviously wow. by result, um, on like Thursday at 11.45, AM. I remember specifically because I was sitting in class and I was just like, I just started feeling so weird. Like, I, hard to explain, but like, like a mix between like nausea and headache and like heart palpitations and just like I knew there was something wrong. And so I went home and what, and when I got home, basically I just like puked my guts out oh, for a couple hours. I couldn't sleep. I was just trying to rest. It was just the worst. And I went to the doctor. He said, well, you'd overdose on caffeine. Is that a thing? This is what blows my mind. Everyone asks me that. Oh, you can do that? I've never, ever heard of that, but it makes perfect sense. I mean, okay, just because it's a coffee, people think, oh, it's like a natural drink or whatever. Yeah. And then if you look at a Monster Energy or a Red Bull, when people are ODing and like kids are dying from heart attacks... It's literally the same What's thing. The it's there's no difference at all. It's just You're one's right. been one's been pumped out 
over 30, 40 years by Starbucks. Mm -hmm. And the other one is like a new energy drink where it's like geared towards extreme sports or whatever. So it, no one considers coffee as like a, you know, an addictive caffeinated, but it highly volatile is. product. <laughs> and, and I know, and we all know that it is addictive in a sense that it obviously yeah. has caffeine, but not to the point where you can actually like basically do an acute overdose on caffeine. Okay. So, and including myself, you know, I obviously had no clue. Or I never thought that would even happen. And sure enough, it absolutely did happen. Mm -hmm. And so for the following two weeks, I was just like, was a wreck. I just felt like I had like chemical poisoning. Like I couldn't digest. I couldn't sleep. It was just really weird. I was going through like withdrawals. And, um, and so they said, well, you know, drink something else, like drink tea or just, just get off caffeine in general. And I was like, okay, well, I'll start looking at tea a bit. And, and this was like over the Christmas break at this point yeah. in 2012. And when we came, I didn't really find anything I love, like in terms of, you know, brands or new things or whatever, like, and especially at the time, like, you know, I'm a 24-year-old hockey player, snowboarder. Um, all the tea brands out there are geared towards women trying to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Like, the majority of them. Unless they're, like, a really high-end craft kind of older brand, like legacy brand, mm -hmm. which obviously still didn't appeal to me either. You know, I'm, I'm more of a, a, a rebel or whatever. Like, I don't want to, you know, I'm not jumping at the, at the opportunity to try, like, twinings or whatever right yeah. so and the the idea of tea that I had in my mind was something that was like really bitter really old school and, and not as enjoyable or rich in flavor it doesn't have like it, in my mind it always had like this lack of like real body or like experience yeah. and so it was never really that interested until I basically kind of had to look at it and then when we came back for the second second half of the year in January we had a global entrepreneurship um class that was like basically six months you 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 build like a what would be a startup business and then at the end you pitch it for a, like a fake investment competition uh against your other teammates or against your other classmates and their groups and on the first day i started looking through newsletters of creative business medical tech innovation etc and i found an article about a new study that was released about the coffee leaf and what was really interesting was that it had higher antioxidant content than the green than the uh, than the tea leaf had higher antioxidant content than the coffee bean itself and it's been consumed anywhere from anywhere between 300 and 1300 years depending on different reports that you find but like guaranteed 300 years and it started in Ethiopia where wild arabica coffee originates mm -hmm. and the locals were drinking the leaf tea before they ever did a roasted bean. So if you think about it in a funny way, the original coffee consumption method is actually the leaf tea and not the bean. The, the bean was only roasted by the Egyptians in the 15th century, and then the Europeans figured it out in the 1700s. And when the Europeans figured out coffee leaf tea at the same time, they they thought that like, oh, this, this doesn't have legs, it doesn't have that robust taste, it has less caffeine, we're not interested. The difference is that in Ethiopia and also in parts of Indonesia where they traditionally consume it, they never gave the leaf crafting techniques to actually reveal flavor mm -hmm. like a traditional black tea would be done, for example. So just so, there's, just so there's like a basic understanding of context here, green, black tea, white tea, yellow tea, matcha, etc., they're all from the same... Uh, they're all from the same leaf. They're all from the tea leaf, Camilla sinensis, 
Within that, there's different cultivars, etc. But they're all from the same leaf, and then you can create all those teas from a different method that you apply. Oh, so those okay. are all the same. They're not different plants. They're all the same. Green, black tea, etc. So we had the thought saying, well, if the coffee leaf has been basically overlooked as a space of innovation mm-hmm. in terms of crafting and, and, and creating like new unique teas through processing methods and, and really you know, creating uh, complex flavor, why don't we apply the same methods that they do in the tea industry to the coffee leaf and just see what happens? Mm-hmm. And so we just had that, like at first it was more just like, oh, coffee leaves, okay. You know, for a project, like this is kind of cool. And then we started looking at the coffee industry and immediately we realized like, and like right now, more than ever, it's getting more and more relevant. Now it's basically like, it's finally hitting the real press. Whereas people have known for about 15 years that coffee is like going through a serious crisis right now. And the production yield for the bean is is rapidly reducing because of climate change. Um, a lot of the migrant caravan people that are coming out from, the, from Central America, a lot of them are coffee farmers because they can't make any more money in coffee. And they ha- it hasn't been profitable for seven or eight years. And so... Back in 2012, we're looking at this, you know, seven years ago now and being like, oh, wow, like there's only the bean, uh, the bean can only be harvested for three months. And then the rest of the year, everyone's like actually starving, you know, like they don't have work. Because there's there's no work. And it's a, it's like the number one export for all of Latin American countries. Yep. Um, and it's just so reliant on a good season for three months and the yield every single year will change and now that weather is so erratic mm-hmm. it's like heavily affecting uh crops because you'll have like three months of drought and then two months or three months of straight rain mm-hmm. and the plants just get completely trashed and so that's where like good farming techniques and whatnot um really help protect but i i won't digress into that right now but <laughs> so essentially we're looking at this like okay so it has health properties. It's been consumed for hundreds of years. There's been zero innovation on it. It's been never launched in like the public eye in like a modern sense. Mm-hmm. And most of all, it can actually create year-round jobs, or at least the theory was at the time, create year-round jobs by using the leaf during the off-season. Mm-hmm. And so we spent the, that winter basically uh, leading up to June working on the whole concept at school and just trying to get as airtight as we could with the with the execution whatever and like if i look at the original project some things are still ring really true mm-hmm. um but then other things are just like completely different like it changed a hundred <laughs> times over as businesses do in yeah, the early phases exactly yeah so yeah that's just kind of how we got started and then eventually at the end of the year we said you know what this is too big of an opportunity to pass up to create actual tangible social impact and social innovation mm-hmm. um and if we don't do it, someone else might do it, and they might not do it to the standards that we would like to see in the industry. Mm-hmm. And we might as well try to set this, try to set the bar, basically. So, just to confirm, you did this as a school project. So this was part of a course that you were taking. It was our master's thesis, basically. It ended up being okay. our thesis, yeah. Right, and you were doing with this with someone else. Yeah, my co-founder. Um, we started off as two. Well, I mean, our original school group was like ten people. For okay. Our, for yeah, I'm actually <laughs> curious what that looked like. So there was ten of you, or so. It, it, they, the class was like heavily cutting costs <laughs> because it, it's usually groups of five with like ten groups, but they did. T- five groups of 10 which is ridiculous for an entrepreneurship project we yeah 10, 10 minds i know like it was chaos. it was ridiculous <laughs> but i mean we had we had a good team and, and people were you know they were interested in just doing their part and whatever yeah um but essentially um you know we did like a 
open invite to whoever wanted to join us and actually pursue it. And and my best friend and I, uh, Arnaud from France, uh, from uh, nearby Bordeaux where we studied, he was mm-hmm. like, "Well, let's do this." Like, he grew up in the in like the heart of fermented beverages. Right. He, like his his town is like you know half an hour away from the cognac region. Yeah. Uh, Bordeaux has like the, the best red wine in the world, mm-hmm. and his parents are basically sommeliers, and so like he just grew up around like all these crafted fermented beverages. Mm-hmm. So he had a passion. His particular passion was in potentially creating like the, this new you know crafted fermented type beverage, and and mine was was obviously. Uh, because my sports background was like from a health and nutrition side of things and also because mm-hmm. my caffeine like overdose I was like well yeah. this is cool because it's light in caffeine I have no idea what it tastes like at the time um, and we actually managed to acquire a small sample of someone that made it out of the Philippines Neat. but it, it took us like three months to find this person and they weren't like running a big business or anything so obviously. if I wanted at this time if I wanted to go get some coffee leaf tea I couldn't or probably would have trouble finding it at that time, you wouldn't find anyone selling it until you got to like the 30th or 40th page of Google. Really? It took us like three months to find someone making it. Wow. And we were already like I neck no deep idea. in this. And I've been doing research. Like everyone was applying for internships yeah. and I was doing some applications for internships and whatever, like, you know, trying to go to PwC or McKinsey or like any other consulting company or like even other things like Quicksilver and Rip Curl because that was in the area. And that was part of the reason why I went to Bordeaux was because surfing was close by. Mm-hmm. And so the more I did applications, I did like maybe, f- I don't know, four. I was like, this takes forever. And you got to do one custom one for each freaking company. And you got to make up some bogus cover letter saying why you would love to work at McKinsey. No one, yeah. no one would love to work at a giant company. It's more just like, yeah. you know, it's a stepping stone. You gotta like play the game, You're whatever. Up. Yeah, and you and you gotta do it to get anywhere. And I and I totally understand that and I respect that. But I realized I was wasting all this time doing this. I was like, I have zero passion in that. Plus, the economy in Europe was absolutely crumbling at the time. Mm-hmm. There was all the jobs were being cut, and there was no money in in doing an internship. And you had to move to Paris. And I don't I don't want to live in Paris. Way too busy. Um, way too expensive for an internship that would pay you like 600 euros a month you know you can't live there Um, (laughs) I'm poor (laughs) yeah like and so I was like well I'm wasting all this time doing applications I might as well just research my ass off in Mm -hmm. in what will be or could be wise monkey and this coffee leaf tea social venture and so I just I dedicated as much time as I could on it at the time amazing and so were you uh, ever hesitant about doing this as a partnership because I know a lot of people like they would love to have bring a partner into their business but maybe there's some fears around what could happen or some people perhaps are on the other end of the spectrum where they have to be in this alone because their vision is so strong what did that look like when deciding to register this business as a partnership um, there's no way in hell I could do all this without having a mm-hmm. co-founder there's like literally no chance in hell because we the thing with us is like yeah we get along as friends and like we we did like you know spring break trip and stuff and you know we've gone on party and and whatever like that's totally fine the biggest thing was that we have such a complementary skill set whereas like i'm the design marketing kind of product physical you know engineer in a sense and and like branding person and he's like the analytical, um, more back end, 
more interested in B2B and finance and, and running numbers and, and doing a lot. And like, you know, I do Adobe and he does Excel. Yeah. You know, if you put, if you put it completely different, yeah, people. If, if you put it in a bucket <laughs> and at the same time, we both have like a lot of overlapping interests and most of it is things, you know, outside of food and beverage, you know, like for example, like we both love amazing co- like proper craft cocktails or amazing, mm-hmm. amazing food. Obviously like no one doesn't like that. But the big thing for us was like we both had this amazing interest in music and and generally just like culture curation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an affinity for artists and, and art in general. And like that's what for us when we're like, hey, well, if we're going to make a brand, we want to do something that rings true to our, not only our DNA, mm-hmm. but also what works today and what is way more authentic than like a bunch of stock photos on a website and a stock Instagram and a stock this. Whereas everyone's like, oh, you can launch a brand overnight. Just like pull from all these things and use free resources. And like, yeah, you totally can. And it probably still works. Mm-hmm. But for us, it was like, if we want to do this and really have that kind of authenticity and, and authenticity builds loyalty as long as you keep delivering, mm-hmm. you know, we're like, okay, well, we're going to do this from the inside out and we're going to do focus on art and creatives and, and make sure that our brand is innovative and fun and passionate. Mm-hmm. And so when we had that vision together and we're like, well, you know, there's nothing like this in the market right now. All the tea brands out there are like super stodgy. The tea category is actually growing a lot right now. I mean, we're in Toronto for the Toronto Tea Festival, you know, yeah. and every single year there's more people and there's more brands and there's more interesting things going on. And the crowd's getting a lot younger. You know, people are like, oh, so you're going to go after like middle-aged women? And it's like, well, it's not the target. I mean, I'm sure they're going to buy some, but it's not who we're going after. You know, right now, I'd say our, like our core market, our strongest market is 25 to 34-year-old females. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at the numbers, like we almost have better conversion with male customers. Mm-hmm. And I think I feel like a lot of people are getting off of coffee in general and, and off of high ca- highly caffeinated drinks because yeah. the high caffeine phase kind of happened. And the whole like Silicon Valley idea or the Wall Street idea of like working yourself to the bone mm-hmm. is starting to fade, whereas people are starting to realize that you actually do need a balance. It's not just like a cliche. It's like, no, it's real. <laughs> you have to take care of yourself and you can't mm-hmm. just keep putting off like future energy and happiness and health by just keep pumping yourself with caffeine and not sleeping and working mm-hmm. so much. It's so true. I feel like people who didn't adopt like the wellness trends five-ish years ago now they're realizing it's not a trend it's actually no, here to stay yeah. it's no longer cool to suggest to your friends like hey let's go grab mcdonald's every night or like let's go there <laughs> every thursday yeah do it once in a while but now it's like now nah, can we all meet at like a healthy restaurant every yeah. thursday and it's no longer like oh come on do we have to do that it's like yeah like this is the new normal <laughs> it's no longer a burden exactly <laughs> or, or like a compromise i mean mm-hmm. also like in, in general, like food innovation has been amazing. Uh, yeah. I follow a plant-based diet and it's it's like never been easier. And also oh, yeah. there's so many amazing restaurants and like even fast food places now that are changing yeah. and like all these things, it's just really the information yeah. is what changed the game. And so mm-hmm. people are finally catching up to that. And part of that is, is reducing caffeine intake or at least being aware of it and mitigating, you know, an over-caffeination when you don't really need it. Mm-hmm. And the way that we like to think about it is like, um, you know, why would you, why would you knowingly and willingly ride a roller coaster when you could just kind of cruise and float above on a cloud, yeah. you know, and have like a nice diffused caffeine experience and not get dehydrated, acidic, 
upset stomach, headaches, withdrawals, et cetera, and then, and then have like the jitters and the nervous after effects and then having poor sleep because you've had so much caffeine during the day. And, you know, I'm not saying this out of like assumptions, I went through it myself on yeah. the, like the most extreme level. And so I know exactly what it's like and it's not fun. Yeah. And I do have a few more questions about sure. the product itself. Yes. First, yeah. I want to rewind back because again, okay. a lot of the people listening to this show, I know because they reach out a lot. They say, I've been thinking about starting this business. I have this idea. And like I mentioned, a lot of startup and aspiring entrepreneurs are the audience here. And so I want to go back to when... You first ordered, I think you said a sample from the Philippines, right? Yeah, yeah. So was that kind of like the first step in like actualizing your business? Yeah, you did your project and then you ordered the sample. But what happened next? Like give us like even if it's the most micro thing that you did, because this is where people get stuck. Like they forget that they should order a sample and start yeah. you know, taking action that way. So maybe give us what happened in those months or weeks after sure. the sample arrived. I'll tell you what happened in the following five minutes. Okay, um, perfect. Basically, I, I got the sample finally of uh, this coffee leaf tea from the Philippines. Super random. It had like it had like some added ingredients to it to kind of give it a, a bit of a flavor. But essentially, like I already, I think I already told my folks about this kind of discovery and like my you know my family and be like hey like this is a cool project we're working on. It might actually have legs, you know, like, legitimately. And then when I got the sample, I steeped it at home and I was just like so excited. I was like, hey, this is like, if this tastes like crap, then like whatever. I'm going to keep applying for jobs. <laughs> but if it's like drinkable, at least passable, then like, you know, we could probably improve on this. And sure enough, I drank it and it was so smooth. It was like dead smooth. And what does it taste like? I have to stop you there. Sure. So basically it it's... I don't want to say it tastes like tea because people get like they like get put off by traditional tea. Yeah. And it, but it does. It tastes nothing like coffee. Okay. It's it's more like if you were to have a imagine a black tea in terms of like the body and like the mouthfeel, but you don't have any of the bitterness or the tannins or that dry aspect that you get with a black tea. And on top of that, layer in like a nice smooth kind of sweet finish to it, just on its own. Hmm. And a lot of people at every single show we do, they ask us like, "Oh, is this sweetened?" You say, no, like that's no just thing. the straight leaf. Yeah. There's only one ingredient, like in our original blend, right? Yeah. And that's what's remarkable is that it's such a balanced flavor just on its own that it makes the coffee leaf so versatile for blending. Mm -hmm. So we can create like blends that focus on citrus notes or that focus on fruity notes or that do more like a chai, like spicy notes. And it works across all of these styles because it has such a balanced profile to begin with. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're using like a black tea, it's going to have astringency and tannins and bitterness that you have to kind of not necessarily mask, but you have to work with it when you're blending. And so people will use a green tea instead of something for instead of a black tea, or they'll do an herbal blend because such and such the flavor they're going after. Whereas the coffee leaf on its own, the way that we that we process it is makes it so smooth and mm -hmm. so like pleasant that we can blend it with anything and it, and it kind of works. Um, the other cool part about it in terms of like usability is that it never gets bitter when you just oversteep it for like hours. Mm. So like everyone has been there where you you throw a tea bag in and then you completely forget about it and you come back like twenty minutes later and that it's just undrinkable. It's yeah. just impossible. Whereas ours is like amazing. Like at least five minutes is what I typically would do. But I, I honestly, I just leave the bag in all day and then I'll do like a second seep later with the same bag. That's really cool. 
Yeah. Okay, so you got the sample. It changed your life because you tried it and <laughs> you were impressed. Then what? Yeah, basically, as soon as I knew that it was drinkable and not bitter at all, I was like, hey, this is like an okay product right now, but it's actually pretty decent. I was just running around my apartment, like losing my mind. I was like cheering on my own. And like, I called my, my, my folks in Canada from France. I was like, this is legit. Like, this is so legit. We can definitely do better than this, than what exists out there. There's almost, there is really nothing out there anyways. But the only sample I had was like, like so rudimentary but it was still it was still pretty decent and then i meet and then i called arno my co-founder and said yo i got the sample came in it's actually unreal like we got to do this we have to do this and this was like in march yeah. uh the end of the semester was in june and so those following basically two and a half months leading up to the end of the year it was working on on the project and refining like what the supply chain would look like and then what the, what the market approach would look like and um and and basically just convincing Arno to come with me <laughs> because at first like, he wasn't totally sold. <laughs> no, I mean in France there's an indoctrinated train of thought where get a salary because you basically can't get fired, and in your first year you already have a month paid vacation. Like it's it's unreal as an as an employee in yeah. in France. And so at the beginning of the year, like the teacher, one of the teacher professors was like, "Okay, hey, who here uh, wants to open their own business or ha- already has their own business?" And then who who basically just doesn't doesn't want to? And there's only like maybe three people out of fifty, and I was one of the three because I already had my own freelance work, and I already had small businesses kind of in and out. My my whole family is basically entrepreneurs, mm. and um, and at the end of the year, instead of like three or four people, there was probably like twelve or thirteen, and people were kind of following our Noah and I's project with a wise monkey throughout the year, being like, "This is actually pretty cool. Like, are you guys going to go do it and all this?" And I was just like, "Hell yeah! Of course, I'm going to go do this." Yeah. Like, what else am I going to do in this broken economy right now? And um, and sure enough, at the end of the year, Arno was like, "Okay, let's just do this." And um, so we went back to Vancouver for about a month. He had never been in North America yet, or, or rather, he'd never been in North America outside of New York City. Yeah, that must have been huge. Right? <laughs> yeah, it was a big like culture shock in a sense. No kidding. Um, but uh, but yeah, so then we set up shop in Vancouver at my basically my parents' house for like a month and a half, and then I was using whatever credit cards space I had left, and we booked a trip to Nicaragua, and we went to Nicaragua because we called like all the different uh, tea manufacturing companies or brands in Latin America that were in coffee regions, which is hard to combine. There's not many out there. If you're not doing it in Latin America, it's going to be in Africa or Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally speaking, we got like all these responses from like other brands and companies out of Colombia and Brazil, et cetera. And they're like, no, like, no, we don't need care about this or like no response. And then one company in Nicaragua was like, hey, this is cool. This is interesting. Like, you know, we're here if you want to come down and try it. And I had already I had already been to Nicaragua twice. Yeah. So it was pretty serendipitous for it to be like, well, I guess I'm going back. And I traveled around, and I knew that the country was super safe mm-hmm. um, and, and amazing people and pretty progressive in business. And so we decided, okay, let's just go. Um, we planned our trip to be a month long. <laughs> it ended up being three months long, what? and we like barely got out with our first sample. Um, but what were you doing while you were there? You're building oh relationships. You're spending time on the farm. It was... We, we honestly thought it would take us like three weeks to just create a sample and then we'd go like surfing for last week. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even kidding. Yeah. Like, that was the plan. Ideally, that would have been great. That was the plan. 
you know, and then, <laughs> and then basically everything changed when we realized that like everything takes three times longer than you expect. Yeah. And beyond that, you're dealing in Latin America where, you know, I had experience there. I've grown up going to a different place in Latin America, but never doing actual business. Yeah. And when you're doing business with a new product that doesn't actually exist, um, you know, you got to convince a lot of coffee farmers until you get one that says, okay, sure. So, yeah. Sorry, aren't they already, don't they already have that leaf because they're growing the beans? Yes. And so they all have the leaf as yes. a byproduct. Yes. What are they doing with it? So, yeah, I, I actually should have mentioned this earlier when I was describing the kind of system that we've yeah. created. But essentially, the three months of the bean season is like December to March, depending on where you are geographically. Okay. And then the rest of the year... They're just doing like cyclical prunings, yeah. like you would prune like a rose bush or whatever. Like you prune any other plant, just to kind of manage the growth. Yeah. They typically want the, the the coffee plant to be a bit bushier up top because it gets more sun exposure and it's better okay. for the beans. Now, in the springtime, when the plants are regenerating for the following winter, they put it. They just shoot out a ton of leaves and branches everywhere, and throughout the whole summer, they they just start like populating with more leaves. So then it can capture the, you know, the energy to put into the bean as like you hit the end of summer towards the fall, yeah. leading up to the winter time. And so a lot of these leaves are in like really funny places or are kind of unnecessary. And so they're trimming them off and they're just tossing them. And beyond that, even then, every seven years, they'll, they'll top the whole tree okay. at about a foot and a half high off the ground mm -hmm. and they'll just top it and that way it'll regenerate a whole, all these new shoots and just create basically a whole new plant with an already an existing root system yeah. so it's already rich in nutrients etc you're not starting mm -hmm. from scratch and so when all those trees get cut down it's like 10 percent of the farm every year and enrique's farm is like a thousand acres of coffee you know that's yeah. 100 acres of coffee plants that are getting topped a lot of it is mulch of course Okay. At the same time, they don't they don't necessarily use all of it or need all of it because they have so much other biomass from other plants that they have mm -hmm. and other like shade growing trees like banana and kiri, guava, nettle, avocado, etc. That for them the biomass is like 0.5 percent of what's coming out of the farm. Yeah, and the whole farm is done um, basically to what would be like a modern biodynamic standard, and so it's uh it's basically like they're struggling to make make income year-round or even have visibility on income throughout the off-season or even just in the industry in general and hunger like the average hunger uh the seasonal hunger is basically from july to like october and that's the season where like you're at the end of your cash reserves there's nothing going on you're mm -hmm. like typically a family would try to migrate to the city and then come back and so like the parents will split up and then the kids will just like help do odd jobs and, and leave school because there's just no money yeah and so it's basically like this incredibly difficult industry where communities are just like on a razor thin edge you know they're already in poverty they're already struggling and then now you're introducing climate change and you're introducing the lowest bean prices in, in a decade and it's just costing more to produce like to, to illustrate the the drasticness of the situation um enrique produces like pretty high-end arabica coffee he sells to major brands like Stumptown and, and whatnot and especially in the states in the uk and his cost of production is roughly depending on the year a dollar 80 per pound of, of like dry green coffee unroasted coffee mm -hmm. and 
the cost of sale is under a dollar right now on the market. So you're literally losing 50%. Like, like you're not even making any money, so let alone you're losing, losing money. He's losing money every single year, and so is everybody else. Is that why it's important to buy fair trade coffee? Fair trade is one thing. And I don't, I'm not here to uh, comment on other, you know, labels or certifications or whatever. Yeah. Fair trade, um, it's a, it has helped, but it's not, a, it's not an, like an all in solution. It's not a, it's not a silver bullet because mm-hmm. the thing is with fair trade, for example, in Nicaragua, the, the, I mean, someone might correct me on this, but the last time I heard the fair trade, fair trade has set pricing per country. And in Nicaragua, the fair trade price is $1.40. But it still costs a dollar eighty to produce. So how are you going to make money? And even if even if it's a cheaper to produce, you know, dollar twenty, dollar forty, you're still barely breaking even. Yeah. And we were actually looking for in the first trip when we were down there, we went through like all the co-ops we could find, went through all the fair trade, this and that, whatnot. And the more that we spent time with those co-ops, the more we realized it was incredibly complicated, and there was too many middlemen. And in in like the early two thousands. There was, an, there was a coffee crisis uh, globally, and Nicaragua was hit pretty bad, and the only coffee co-ops that survived were the women's co-ops, for the most part, because they weren't corrupt. And, and the more that we started learning about the industry on the ground and talking to people, talking to co-ops, and then talking to private growers, and they're like, and like, and coffee buyers especially, the coffee buyers are the most savvy because they see it all, and they understand who's doing it right, you know, and they support the ones that should be supported. And we just realized that the co-ops were, it was like, uh, I'm probably going to upset some people if they, if they listen to this, but go for it. It, it was, it's like, uh, I don't want to use this word because it's not it, but it's like in the same vein, it's almost like a greenwash, you know? And it's unfortunate. There's so much of that these days. Like I know, with yeah. organic and non-GMO, so I, I'm just yeah, glad yeah. you bring that up because people think they're buying this one certification, but... Come on, you need to do your research. Look into this. Like, think beyond that, yeah. and just it's, be a smart consumer. The more, like, it's more about direct trade. Fair trade is one thing where, like, oh, okay, I know that people are getting paid a fair price. The fair is so relative. Are you serious? Mm. They're still losing money on every on every pound they produce right now. Like in, in coffee in Nicaragua, especially, uh, and like the surrounding countries, and so. Anyways, long story short, we basically went through all this like research at the time, and eventually we found uh, a grower who was a private grower, had an amazing farm, and an amazing farm engineer, like the guy who basically runs it on the ground and knows everything about agronomy and the and like coffee, you know, the biology behind it, everything else. And uh, so then we made our first sample, and and. <laughs> We went to the facility of the guys we were working with who were processing the leaves for us to try like our very first, the very first coffee leaf tea ever made in the American continent, you know, ever. Because it, otherwise it was only in Africa or in Asia. And so we were right. the first ever to do it in the Americas. And I, I like, I remember this moment so specifically because it was like weird, like blue lighting in the facility. <laughs> and we, and we, were, we were cupping our very first steep of this tea that we made and I like you cup it and when you do testing you use like a spoon and it's in the spoons in my hand and like I'm like shaking I'm like dude if this is terrible like if this is terrible we just wasted like two and a half months a ton of lost opportunities and a ton of money that we don't have because it's all credit cards 
and we're basically screwed. And if this doesn't work, you know, we're, we're booking our flight tomorrow and getting out of here. And we tasted it and we're like, holy shit, like it's way better than even the thing we had from the Philippines like months ago that we, that we finally acquired. It was light years better wow. than that. And we're just like, oh my God, this is like, this is even better than we thought. And so that was like the that was like the second like eureka moment where we had actually created our own, and then we realized that the potential behind it was just enormous because it wasn't like this thing that's like has some functionality and could help people, but it's incredibly bitter or it's incredibly you know yeah. unsavory or, or like like really gnarly to drink. And so when we realized like how smooth it was and how complex in flavor and like pleasant on our very first batch that was like really rudimentary uh, rudimentarily done we're just like wow imagine this with like proper techniques with more knowledge with Mm -hmm. the proper machines the proper you know people to actually handcraft things and like that was just like you know we just blew the lid off our heads (laughs) we're just like holy crap this is actually legit amazing so let's well we got to speed this up yeah yeah, yeah. so what happens do you extend your trip how do you start producing it and then i want to know how did you get your first retail partner okay so basically at that point we came back to vancouver we had a 17 kilo sample and for for basically a year almost we started doing all the paperwork with like health canada getting all the approvals took forever because they didn't know how to classify it because it's not it's not this is the one of the hardest pioneering costs was the time because mm-hmm. they don't know how to classify it. They don't know if it's tea or if it's coffee or whatever. And you have to like profusely explain and supply all these documents that just go nowhere. Because like man, the Canadian government and the health approval departments, like they're like, oh, call Buddy in Mississauga or call Buddy in Burnaby or call Buddy in... And it's just like, oh my God, can someone just take action on this? And eventually they can't, they call us back like six months later. Be like, okay, we finally had a meeting about it. And like, you're good, wow. to, you're good to go. And it's like, oh my God, finally. Yeah. So that took forever, but you know, it's good that we do it in Canada because in the States they don't do that. And then people launch products that are like horrible for you. But anyways, so we did that. We eventually launched a Kickstarter. We set a goal that was way too high and no one had ever tasted the product at that point. So we, we didn't complete the Kickstarter, but we still got a ton of press. And so halfway through the Kickstarter, we just cut it off and we opened up the web store on our, on our website and people just bought it directly. And we were selling pre-orders and like samples of like two tea bags. Like it was, we didn't even have enough to sell. That was the problem. So we had to limit yeah. our sales, which is really tough. Um, so we did pre-orders for about a year and a bit. We joined an incubator that really helped us professionalize the outlook and actually look at this on like a you know beyond like a scrappy grassroots mm-hmm. startup thing and beyond just like a social venture, more of like legitimate business and how do you scale this? Yes. And that really helped. And then after that, like. In terms of retail, we started with um, our very first store was Green's Market in Vancouver. Local guys, we met them through Arnaud, through one of his friends who's also emigrated to Vancouver. And they're like, yeah, sure, just like bring it in and we'll try it out. And at the time, like our packaging was terrible and like it was just not the most like buttoned down thing. But the hardest part with packaging and product design is that when you're a startup and you'd have no money, the minimum volume on any order is like a thousand plus or mm-hmm. something and you're looking for like 50 units yeah. and they're going to cost like 10 bucks a unit for, yeah. a, for a, a carton you know like versus like 20 cents which is what we're paying now totally. and so it's just like brutal in the beginning because you're trying to find ways to like cut costs and and get to like the minimum order quantity for a lot of these things so mm-hmm. we got our first retail and then we moved into whole foods locally in vancouver 
We got about to we got to about twenty five stores in Vancouver. That's huge, yeah, to get into Whole Foods. Just for us, cool. yeah, just for like us two trying to figure out this whole system. Yeah. Um, and at that time, we picked up advisors that were in the retail space in terms of uh, brands in retail and like ha- knowing how to attack the retail market. Um, and actually, that's how we got introduced to you. <laughs> um, but now, like, we grew so much in the retail in the last couple of years, and it's been a ton of work. It's been incredibly costly mm-hmm. because we grew too fast in the retail. The problem with retail is that everyone's like, oh, you got to get into this store. And, you know, yeah, you can do that. That's great. But then as soon as you get in the store, you have to spend so much money to get people to that store and for people to buy it. Yeah. And did you feel like that was your responsibility then to, like, you know, show up for the demos and really bring more education and brand awareness because at this point people still don't know what coffee leaf tea is yeah they walk into the store and they go what's that exactly so feel this is something that like over the last couple years as we were doing like a big retail play we kind of fell in the back of our minds i mean at least i did I, i think arno was more on board with the retail play but at the same time um i think he also knew that it was just costing us a lot of money and it wasn't scalable in terms of communications Communications are not scalable in retail because you have to hire demo teams and they cost a fortune. Mm-hmm. And like, we have to do like a call with like thirty people, you know, to train them on coffee leaf tea for like fifteen minutes. Yep. And like, I'm trying to, you know, we're trying to train someone in like Florida, in Tallahassee or whatever, on what coffee leaf tea is to do a demo at, at Sprouts. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, there's something wrong with this system. It's so broken. And so, and now the retailers, like, they're all struggling because of online shipping and Amazon, et cetera. And so the retailers are asking brands to put up more money for marketing to make sure that their product turns and that they stay on the shelf in, in like, slotted at that store. So there's more and more pressure on brands because the stores are offloading the pressure from the market onto them. And now we're like, you know what? We're going to go back to the kind of original outlook we had, which was go way more direct and online. Mm-hmm. And that's like the whole new shift that we're doing this year, just because we've realized that retail has been super costly and people will like congratulate us on getting into, you know, a thousand stores or whatever in North America. It's not an accomplishment because mm-hmm. we're not killing it with that. You know what yeah. I mean? It's actually a huge detriment. Yeah. It's massively uh, risky. Mm-hmm. And so unless you're bankrolled, you know, if you're ready to be like for retail, be ready to lose money for three years. Like, I'm serious. That's insane. And, it, and people need to know this because, because we thought we were like so knowledgeable. We have the most amazing advisors and angels and found, yeah. like and like other founders and executives of other companies that have like had massive sales, etc. But they did it during the 2000s, mm-hmm. you know, and now things are so different. And and we realized later, like, oh, my God, like, we just basically burnt all of our angel money on retail. And now we're, like, almost starting from scratch again in, in a way, you know, which mm-hmm. is which is brutal because, you know, you feel like you've had a lot of wasted opportunities. But at the same time, it's also an amazing lesson. And now we're totally, like, evolving from that. And we're, like, you know, coming out of the cocoon and, and, and totally yeah. changing our outlook and how we even our operations, like we've fully uh, revamped everything. So I just wanted to make sure that if anyone is looking for like, if anyone's getting into an inventory based business, mm-hmm. just don't bother with retail. Just there's so much more you can do online first. Yeah. And then when you're like really comfortable with online and you're bankrolled and you can just like grow new projects, then start looking at retail and invest really, really strategically. Mm-hmm. Don't try to get a thousand stores. A thousand stores will kill you. Get like 
20 stores tops and then learn for like two years on how that works mm -hmm. and then you can scale it as much as you like as long as, as long as you have the finance otherwise like it's just the hugest risk yeah well it sounds like you've learned a lot in the past <laughs> yeah. years absolutely yeah um in terms of marketing efforts then where are you spending a lot of your time and effort in terms of getting the awareness of what wise monkey is what coffee leaf tea is obviously you're here doing a trade show so that is something you spend uh, some time investing yeah the the consumer shows that we do where we like travel and set up a booth and, and sell direct to people um, in most cases if it's a good show we'll like break even on the travel costs and everything else so it's a really good awareness piece because you make face-to-face -face connections that being said again it's not you know immediately scalable you can't just like go 10x on, on yeah. consumer shows it doesn't work like that so where we're spending now um, up until this point, our website and everything has been heavily insourced. I'm not a developer at all. I don't know code, but I've been using, you know, Shopify templates and getting friends to like chip in and help us kind of revamp things. And and that was good. But at this point, like we need to heavily optimize our conversion on the website and also draw draw better leads. And we're creating like we're creating more awareness. Instagram's been one of our best methods of awareness for sure. Um, that's that's kind of a given at this point. Um, where we're going to start investing a lot more is Pinterest, because it has actually a pretty low cost per click, mm -hmm. and it's another very visual medium. And we have a lot of amazing content that is very visual. We have like good utility content as well, like how to make amazing tea cocktails, or how to like how to do like shortbread cookies with coffee leaf tea, and, you know, and, and things that like just taste amazing very for cool. recipes and whatnot. And so. Pinterest is another one we're looking at. Facebook, we've been on there. We haven't optimized it well enough, but this is why I'm bringing in an agency to start doing this mm -hmm. because like, I can't keep relying on volunteers and like, if we're gonna do a legit like yeah. digital play, we need legit digital players that know what to do. And it's been us like hacking it together for way too long at this mm -hmm. point. And we should have done this like three years ago. But, you know, you don't <laughs> you don't have the you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Of course. And you don't always have a ton of money to throw at an agency in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like with Facebook ads too, too many people jump into it too early, and then they just throw the money out there to yeah. the ad, thinking that you're going to get this immediate response. It's not how it works. No, and and like Facebook used to be really good because it was really cheap and you had amazing organic reach yeah but now it's throttled back so much that we're just like i don't even want to spend money here anymore but if you do it right i actually just um hired a facebook blueprint certified expert so did you know that people can go through a facebook course it takes them almost a year and then I they pay five hundred dollars to write an exam and someone from facebook skypes in and proctors them huh. And if they've gone through every single module, which again, takes them a long time, they get this certification. Wow. So now when I'm looking for people to kind of mentor me on Facebook ads, I always ask them, do you have the blueprint that Facebook puts on? Yeah. And um, I found that the people who I have talked to, they're so knowledgeable and they can get you a campaign that really, really converts because yeah. they know the ins and outs of it and like the million different metrics. It's but. so granular. It's really hard to do on your own, especially it's when like... so hard. You know, they simplify it a lot because you can just boost the post, but oh you my have God, yeah. no idea who that's going to. No, it's not targeted. Them. Yeah. It's just insane. There's a lot involved for sure. I have to ask too, uh, on record, do you have to be out by a certain time? No, no, no. I'm, no. I'm, okay. I'm, so we'll kind of wrap this up shortly. Um, sure. 
Well, I would like to know a couple uh, more things about the product itself and what Wise Monkey as a brand is. So first of all, what can people buy from you? What's your selection of products today? So we have uh, we have bag teas, which you know tea bags in a box, mm-hmm. and we also have loose leaf. And the loose leaf, you know, in the tea industry is generally speaking better because it's less waste, and you also get a better deal as a consumer. Yeah. Um, and this year we've added really nice, like I love our infusers. <laughs> they're just they're just perfect, and they're bulletproof. Like you can use them for years. And they're stainless steel. They're awesome. I love them. We use them every single day. Um, so we have infusers. We got our teas. Uh, our our top sellers are basically, depending on the season and re- and you know regionality, top sellers are original ginger lemon, especially this time of year, um, Earl Grey, and and uh, Mango Party. And Earl Grey is really interesting because typically speaking, an Earl Grey will be made with black tea and it has that bitter quality to it. And that's why the Brits always add like cream and sugar, etc. Our Earl Grey, because it's with a coffee leaf, is so smooth and you can steep it super long. You never have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And because it has just a bit of vanilla with, an, with a Sicilian bergamot oil, the vanilla balances it really nice. And if you want, for example, if you just steep it really long, you know, like 10 minutes plus, you get more of the vanilla flavor. And so it gets like creamier and creamier. So if you want like a cream roll gray, just steep it really long. Mm-hmm. Um, another really good one that we have this year uh, that we launched this, this year was um, strawberry hibiscus. Ooh. And that one's really nice too. So if you, like, if you really like hibiscus, you can just steep it longer and get more hibiscus flavor. Um, the ginger lemon, if you want like really strong ginger, just steep it longer, you get more and more ginger. So that's what I like about it is that it's so user-friendly. Like it's brain dead easy, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like the funny thing with coffee and like people switching from coffee to tea, it's like coffee drinkers are like, oh no, tea is so complicated. And like, there's always like the temperature and the timing and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it's all like, everything's ornate. And it's like, ours, we're lucky, you know, the coffee leaf, you just like toss it in and literally it's like set it and forget it. And then mm-hmm. it just always tastes good. And you can steep it at least a second times. So a lot of people do like third steeps as well. Very cool. And right now, are you thinking about bringing in more products, expanding your offerings? Or are you kind of content with what you've got with your core offerings at this moment? Um, I say our core offerings are pretty solid. We already have enough SKUs to manage as is. Mm-hmm. Uh, SKUs in terms of, for people who don't know what it means, uh, basically means like individual products. And so like we have, you know, eight flavors in loose leaf. We have seven in bag teas. Now we have infusers, and now we have a bunch of new apparel okay. uh, under the. Yeah, mo- I like your apparel. I Thank saw you. that under the under the moniker of Wise Threads, and basically, like we have hoodies and and hats and t-shirts, and like, that's that's and plus like all the sizes in those, and so there's like there's a lot to manage as there's is. A lot. Yeah. Um, but the the apparel's actually gone really well, which is super cool. Yeah. People, well, because your branding is so fun. I know, fresh. right? And people are like, "Oh, like why are you launching a fashion brand?" And it's like, <laughs> well. I'm spending time to order these things in yeah. and to create custom apparel. You know, why don't why don't I just give it a name mm-hmm. and give it its own kind of standing? And people are like, "Oh, it's a fashion brand." I'm like, "Call it that, sure." But I mean, yeah. for us, it's just like our fun, awesome apparel. Like, yeah. there's the the way that we thought about it was like the hoodies that we designed are really they're like lightweight hoodies, yeah. so you can kind of wear them in like almost every season. Mm-hmm. And for us, it was the same thinking behind how the tea steeps in the sense that it's always good and it's always useful and it's never like 
too hot or too cold in a sense where it's never too bitter you never have to worry about it. you just toss it on and like if it's a bit colder outside throw on an extra vest or whatever yeah. but if it's like you know summertime at night you can throw it on and it's perfect for that too so yeah anyways we have lots of skews i think in terms of where we're going right now we're working on creating a matcha Oh, and like a you know like a water soluble powdered version yeah. we have some initial prototypes that are not bad um i don't know when it'll launch because we still have a lot more work to do there mm-hmm. and beyond that right now what we have as a base tea across all of our blends is essentially like what would be similar to a black tea in method also in look and taste mm-hmm. we've done like japanese style green teas like steamed green teas which are wildly different and I'm more of a green tea and oolong drinker, and the green tea that we made was one of the best teas I've ever had. And it's frustrating because we only have like 10 grams of it at the office. I wish I could. I wish I could have it every day myself. Yeah. But we need to go out there and actually go and create that. But to do that, we need machinery, which needs money, etc. So <laughs> these are like next steps. This kind is of like thing. the long term vision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just part of it. You know, after yeah. that, like eventually we'll do bottling. But I mean, there's just a that's a whole nother game. It's mm-hmm. almost an entirely different business. It is. Yeah, they're ready to drink. Okay, let's wrap up with some really quick rapid fires. What's the best part about owning a business? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we know the challenges. So let's go with best. Let's, okay, so the best. Let's say the highlights. Uh, highlights are you... How do you say this again? You get out what you put in. Yeah, you get what you put into it. Yeah. So the har- yeah, the harder you work, the, the more work. results you see. Yeah. The, I'm not any, and like harder is one thing, but the better you work, smarter. The, yeah, yeah. The more you get in return, and like you, when you're not doing it as an employee, where you're just wasting a lot of resources so on, on very little return. Mm-hmm. Uh, what tool or object or business system could you not live without? Um, probably Slack. <laughs> Slack. Yeah, that's a good yeah, one. I actually. guess so. Haven't heard people say that too much. And finally, if you only had one hour per week to market your business, what would you do? Probably do a podcast, which is what I'm working on launching right now, actually. Yes, and uh, I would highly encourage you to get a podcast out there. Because I also feel like there's so much education to be had around this industry. And you have so many great stories. And even just flipping through your website, your videos are really informative. And it... I do want to pay attention because I'm a coffee drinker, but I don't know a lot about the industry. I try to be an educated consumer, but Mm. I know I have a long way to go. So the fact that you put out um, some of these really neat visuals and I think some audio content could be really helpful. Yeah. It's funny because coffee brands don't benefit from talking about the seasonality and the struggle in the industry. All they, all they talk about is like a better price. I'm like, that's okay. Sure. But they don't talk about the actual context Mm -hmm. because it doesn't help their story. Whereas we're in the position where we don't have to cater to that and we can actually just like basically lift the veil on these on this whole situation. Mm-hmm. And it's only finally hitting the press, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Amazing. So where can people learn more about Wise Monkey and where can they buy your products? Um, so you can buy our products on our website as well as, I mean, our, we have a store locator. It's probably best to look at the store locator if yes, you're looking I for a retail setup. Um, you know, we're in Whole Foods. We're... Canada has so many regionals, so it's hard to say. But yeah, like we're basically Whole Foods National and then a bunch of other health food stores. But we always have more selection and we have infusers and loose leaf uh, on our website and we do a subsidized flat rate shipping across Canada. So that's probably the best place is just the website, to be honest, because you just, yeah. And I'll plug all of that in the show notes so people can go click right through to that. And yeah, thanks for your time today. I feel like we could have talked 
so much longer, but um, I'll have to have you back one day. So no good worries. luck this weekend. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Visionary Life. Did you learn something new or are you inspired to take action on a new project? If so, please get in touch with me on Instagram at Kelsey Rydell or in our secret Facebook community. Just search Visionary Life by Kelsey Rydell on Facebook. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. It helps us share the stories of visionary entrepreneurs with more and more people. If you're interested in working with me, just head to KelseyRydell.com. And if you've been thinking about joining my 90-day business coaching program, please reach out and book a free 15-minute call and I'd love to chat with you. Have an incredible day.